Hello and welcome to the From the Booth Podcast 2019 Year in Review. The decade may be over, but that doesn't mean we can't look back and view the good, the bad, and the absurd of sports in 2019. We were supposed to record this yesterday on New Year's Eve, but scheduling conflicts and technical difficulties got in the way. You know, Cody, isn't technology just a wonderful thing? It's wonderful, man. It's it's great. It's whenever whenever it works, when everything's going well, it's perfect, and when everything's not, it's frustrating and annoying. But it's 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 good stuff. Better late than never. We're uh, we're getting it in. Let's start with we have we have multiple awards we want to get to, but let's start with the missed opportunity award, which is a player or a team that when you look back, you're like, you know, they had a chance to do something and they missed it. Cody, let's start with you. Who was your 2019 Missed Opportunity Award winner? So for me, I, I had a little bit of a different approach, I guess, to the Missed Opportunity Award winner, but I gave it to the Alliance of American Football as a whole. Um, I think that we, I think that there's really a need and there's there's an avenue that you know a developmental type of football league is something that uh, is needed and, and something that would would be greatly beneficial for the players, for the teams, and everyone uh, in the National Football League. And so the fact that that was unable to sustain itself, I know we're going to have uh, the XFL come along, so we'll see if that ends up being what we want it to be in terms of uh, development and another source of uh, football. But I said the AAF as a whole just because I think there's a real opportunity for that type of league and the fact that they uh, were unable to sustain it is disappointing. We'll see if the, uh, we'll see if the XFL can, can kind of write that ship. And then maybe when we, when we give, you know, when we, we do these awards again, we're not, uh, we're, we're not listing the XFL the next, uh, next year. That, that's a really good choice. And that was one that I thought about, but I was going to put that in a different category. Uh, you know, they got to the market a year early, so they, in theory, would have had the pick of anybody they wanted, provided that both they and the XFL survived. And if you're a fan of football, you should have rooted like crazy for the XFL, uh, not the XFL, the AAF to succeed, because the more opportunities guys get to play, the better it is for everybody. And you never know where you're going to find that next breakout guy that turns into a solid eight, nine year starter, maybe not a superstar like a Kurt Warner, but someone that can contribute to your team for five or six years. And without the AAF, they might've never found the guy. Uh, my choice for missed opportunity goes to the Los Angeles Dodgers. They had 106 wins, won their division by over 20 games, had the second best record in baseball and lost in the NLDS to the, Washington Nationals. And I got this, and not just me, but also national media, there was this creeping sense around the Dodgers of, if it's not going to happen for them this year, where they were arguably the best team of the regular season, then it might not ever happen for Kershaw and company down in LA. And because of all of the expectations and the great regular season, and it just not coming together with a championship... I'm going to have to give the Los Angeles Dodgers my missed opportunity award. No, that's fair. And that's a good one. That's number, number two on my list. If we were, you know, ranking out some more choices that definitely, you know, you just, you look at the teams that they've been able to put together. And as you point out, just coming up short in the end, uh, it, I think it's going to be interesting to, to watch this team moving forward because the, you know, they still have a lot of the same pieces with Cody Bellinger and company uh, but now, you know, we're, we're seeing kind of the next wave of their talent. So with some of those new guys that we've seen, uh, throughout here recently, but really we'll get in the next couple of years, uh, we'll get to see them throughout the course of full seasons. You know, can they be the group? Uh, maybe the Dodgers make a move as well. Uh, another couple of moves, but can this new, new crop of talent for the Dodgers be the group? that gets them over the edge. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. The Los Angeles Dodgers, the winners of the 2019 Missed Opportunity Award. 
on on to the next award, which is the most absurd. And Cody, I feel like this was a runaway. I dare you to find a more absurd story in 2019 or any other year in sports than the Antonio Brown saga. <laughs> I, I dare you to find a more insane story. Okay, so let's start off. Week 17 going of the 2018 season, Antonio Brown misses a play misses a game that the Steelers had to win to go to the playoffs. And at the end of the year, he's not happy. He wants a new contract, gets traded to the Raiders for a third and a fifth after he vetoed a trade to the Buffalo Bills. He goes to the Raiders and he freezes his foot in a cryotherapy chamber, files multiple grievances to wear his old helmet, threatens to retire if he doesn't wear his old helmet, uh, posts a fine letter uh, for from Mike Mayock, the GM, picks a fight with him. Two days before the season, he gets cut by the Oakland Raiders, winds up in New England, lasts exactly one game, which was on September 15th against the Dolphins, and has been out of the league since, ever since a workout with the New Orleans Saints that he's since gone on record and said that it was a publicity stunt and they never wanted to touch him. Cody, I dare you to find a more insane story in this year or any year than that. No, the, I mean, that one takes the... Uh... That one takes the cake, and, you know, I figured you might say that, so I pulled a, another story up that, that I thought was uh, was absurd or ridiculous uh, to, to go along with this, but you're exactly right. I mean, there's no way that anything this year uh, can can really get even close to, close to that Antonio Brown saga. But, uh, Evan, I don't know if you remember uh, the, the Carson King uh, game day sign. Uh, the, the, the kid who had the sign that said Bush light supply needs replenished and had his Venmo there. Uh, he ended up raising a, a, a ton of money, uh, ended up donating a lot of it to the children's hospital, but they, a, as he was getting all of that traction, um, the Des Moines register had a reporter come out and profile him and found a couple offensive tweets from like eight, eight to 10 years ago. And then we find out that that same reporter also had offensive tweets and offensive material uh, out there as well. So I thought that was just ridiculous. You had a kid uh, who, who had a funny sign about uh, trying to replenish his, his, uh, his beer. People, you know, it blew up. He, uh, he decided to then donate uh, a lot of that money to a local children's hospital instead of buying the beer. And then you had the reporter come out and, and find that stuff. And then ultimately we found out about the reporter having the same uh, sort of offensive material out there. So I thought that was just a, a, a kind of a absurd, ridiculous story. That whole saga that you know kind of took on a life of its own after just the uh, college game day sign. But you're exactly right. You know, Antonio Brown is – he takes the he takes the most absurd story winner uh, this year for sure. But I figuring figuring that you might go there. I uh, I just wanted to pull out the, the Carson King's the Carson King saga because I thought that was was kind of crazy when the Des Moines Register got involved and uh, we we saw what happened there. I thought that was a kind of an absurd story as well. I mean, it's absurd for different reasons. Like, that was more of, like, the, that was an awesome story until the Des Moines Register stuff came out, and then everybody got pissed at the Des Moines Register for doing <laughs> yeah. it. Um, I was aiming more on the absurd, like, is this real life? I can't believe I'm watching this. Sort of like a bad sci-fi oh, B-movie. No, and, and you're exactly right, because, I mean, and, you know, as, as if it wouldn't get any better after everything that happened with Antonio Brown, and you pointed it out. The Saints worked him out, and then Brown turned around and said that, you know, that came out against the Saints and said, oh, it was just a publicity stunt. They didn't really have any interest in signing me anyway. I mean, what is this guy doing? You know, does, does he want to play football or not? It sure as hell doesn't seem like it. I I don't know. We're going to have to wait until 2020 to just see what happened. But I, that was the runaway winner for most absurd, uh, most absurd yes. story of the year. Moving on to the next award, which was the Nontroversy Award, which is a story that was nothing when it happened. It got talked about like it was a massive deal, 
and then everybody just kind of forgot about it. Let's start with you. What was your non-troversy award winner? So actually, maybe a little bit of recency bias here, but I I went with the Patriots uh, in the in the the videotaping thing with the Bengals because I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And having seen the footage, you know, you can make what you want to make of it, uh, the the parts that they released. But I didn't think that was a big deal. I I am of the personal opinion that they, you know, the Patriots were not trying to spy on the Cincinnati Bengals. I do think they were working on that, uh, on, you know, on that docu series or whatnot. So, you know, of course, we, when that happens, you know, it's going to blow up. We know because it's the Patriots and things that they've done in the past, you know, it's going to take on a life of its own and, and rightly so it probably should. But uh, for me personally, uh, I, I'm somebody that I just didn't see that that was the case. Uh, I didn't see that they were really trying to gain an advantage over the Cincinnati Bengals. So they, you know, went and, you know, set up a camera to tape a bunch of these signs or whatever. So I, I, for me personally, I guess, you know, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And so, you know, but of course, because they're the New England Patriots and because of what they've, things they've done in the past, you know, you had people rush to judgment and you had this thing definitely take on a life of its own. So I, I kind of went with that one for the, the non-traversy because for me, it wasn't, you know, I, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. But of course, you know, with some of the history there, it it, it grew it grew legs and started running a, a mile a minute there <laughs> it absolutely did and then it just kind of ended and then everyone just sort of forgot about it uh mine would be over the summer how everybody talked about like the women's world cup stuff where they won the game 13 to nothing and all the celebrations and everybody was like oh come on that's classless act like you've been there before this is bad like really like what wh- what are we doing here like so we're, I'm supposed to be upset with Alex Morgan because she pretended to drink tea after scoring a goal and we, right. and they won a game 13 to nothing. And I'm supposed to feel embarrassed by that. Like there are plenty of other celebrations in soccer that you could say, I mean, come on guys, wrap it up. Let's, let's move on. But that, that was my controversy award because as it happened, I thought it was stupid and then we won the World Cup again, and then it just everybody just kind of moved on and forgot about it. And I was like, "Really? I'm supposed to be mad at Alex Morgan because she pretended to drink tea? I mean, what, yeah, what, no, what are we doing here?" Yeah, I, that's a good one. I, I thought that I'm also of the belief that I didn't think it was that big of a deal. You know, these are professional athletes on the world stage playing at the highest level. You know, I, it's it's something that I didn't think was a big deal at all. So that's uh, that's a uh, that's a good one that you picked there. Moving on, moving on to the most disappointing slash saddest award. Uh, this is a bit of recency bias and also because we just crowned them way too early. But I was gonna go with the I was gonna go with the AAF for this, but then I th- I decided against it and I was gonna vote for the Cleveland Browns because <laughs> over over the entire summer it was. Here come the Cleveland Browns. They've got Baker Mayfield, Odo Beckham. How are you going to stop these guys? And then they went 6-10, and ten, fired the head coach, uh, fired the GM. They're starting over again. And the most notable thing that you can talk about that happened over the Browns season was Miles Garrett hit Mason Rudolph with his own helmet. It was, it was a moment in Cleveland where anything that could have possibly gone wrong did. And maybe it was, it was, maybe it was a... 100% media hype thing where we just decided that the Browns were going to be awesome with no evidence whatsoever. I mean, I, I I feel like that's a pretty clear winner for like the most disappointing award for 2019. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you look at a team uh, and, you know, expectations that people set at the outset of the season, uh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, for the Browns to have the year that they did, that's definitely a uh, definitely definitely a contender there for sure. Can't really argue with that. I, for the for this one, the saddest, most disappointing. Um, I kind of went more on the more on the sad side, and, and you know, Evan. Unfortunately, you know, you had Tyler Skaggs, the uh, Angels pitcher, uh, pass away after overdosing this year, 
and, you know, come to find out that, uh, you know, there were a lot of issues with, uh, drugs and things in the organization and different people had known about these things going on and, you know, failed to, failed to put a stop to it, you know, encouraged it, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But I went with the, I went with the Skaggs, uh, passing because that, you know, I, that was just a, a very sad moment for a young guy in the prime of his career, uh, to, you know, him passing away that in and of itself is, is, is tragic and is a sad story. But then, you know, to hear that there were, you know, there were instances where that was going on in the organization and there were people that were not putting a stop to it, uh, in terms of guys, players, you know, providing and being able to get their hands on that stuff without, uh, without saying anything, I, I think was, was for me, one of the more sad or more disappointing moments of the year. Absolutely. It's hard to argue against that with uh, what happened with Tyler Skaggs. The only like silver lining I could think of is that they're now trying to do like opioids testing in baseball, but I don't think suspending guys for taking opioids is going to be like the right solution for this problem. Like it's not just as simple as, Oh, a guy got popped for doing this thing. So now we're going to sit him down for, 60 games and remove him from like the support system. So that, that sounds like it's not the, the best idea for something like that. I mean, but I also understand with how high profile, like the situation was. And when it came out that angels, like people on the angel staff knew about his opioid use and either got either brought him pills or didn't really think anything of it. I, I can't really think of an outcome that would satisfy anybody in that situation. Yeah, no, that's a great point. So yeah, that that was the uh, that was my uh, saddest or, or most disappointing uh, story when we're looking at that. That was me. That was the one I chose. Cody, I added a couple awards to this, and the let's talk about the moment of the year. Which is, when you look back at 2019 in sports, this is the first thing you're going to think of. And the first thing I'm going to think of is Kawhi Leonard hitting that shot in the game against the Philadelphia 76ers. Because everything about it was perfect. The ball bouncing off the rim. Kawhi Leonard crouching, watching it go in. The entire arena being silent. And then the ball went in, and then it just exploded with all of this energy. And it was like... Oh my God! I think I just witnessed one of the greatest moments in NBA history. That that's a that's a really really good one. That's a really really good one. Um, hard to argue. I totally agree. I mean, that's you look back at the way that transpired, especially you know Evan, the way that that shot bounced and then ultimately fell. You know, I, I just I remember watching it. And then, you know, seeing replays as well. And you're just sitting there and you're just wondering, what, like, it just seems like time, time stops. And, you know, that's where I love the still photos of that moment, because you can you can see the different reactions of people throughout the series of that play. And especially when that ball is hanging up there, you see all the, the angst and the anticipation from people. That was a, a very good one. For me, one of the one of the stories or moments of the year, uh, the story or moment of the year for me is Tiger winning the Masters. Uh, I think capturing his his fifth green jacket after everything that happened uh, or that has transpired in Tiger's life and with the injuries and with the with everything else that's happened to him to be able to get another green jacket at Augusta that moment that that putt goes in for me uh the moment of the year and something that defines 2019 for me personally that's that's something that I would say is uh, no doubt uh, the moment of the year Tiger Woods winning a Masters especially when like no one expected it because we had kind of gone through the cycle of, oh, Tiger's back, Tiger's back, and then finding the next Tiger that everybody just kind of was over it. And then he went out on Sunday, won the Masters, and then we're like, finally, 
after all these years, we got the tiger that we grew up with, the tiger wearing the Sunday red, and the entire field is just, you know, like the aura of this guy is so threatening that it throws people off their games. The tiger that was around in like 2005, 2006, where the guys on the golf course were intimidated by this guy. Like, oh, like th- this this guy's so good, it's going to throw me off my game because I got to think about, can I catch Tiger? Or is Tiger going to catch me? And getting that back for it, just one weekend in April w- was worth it. It was worth it. Yeah, that for me, that's, you know, when I think 2019, I, I'll always have that image uh, stuck in my mind just, you know, for, for that moment for sure. Do you have like a secondary moment of the year that maybe wasn't that maybe like you won't immediately think of it when you think of 2019 in sports, but it's pretty high up on the list. Um, I'm trying to run through it. You know, I think the nat I think the nationals capturing uh, the world series is something that, you know, is a moment, uh, is a story that, that I'll definitely remember and associate with 2019 for sure. You know, the way that that, the way that their season had gone early on, the way that people had written them off and then to see them rally, uh, to see a guy like Steven Strasburg turn in, uh, the, you know, one of the greatest postseason pitching runs that we've seen. Uh, I think the nationals winning the world series in 2019 is, is a moment for me that, that all that, you know, that sticks up there as well, just because, you know, the, the, the drought that the franchise was in, you know, the way that they were written off early in the year, people were going to, you know, ready to fire their manager and break it down in the wake of Bryce Harper leaving and, you know, Bryce Harper leaves and the Washington nationals make a run and get to and win a world series. I think for me, that one, uh, that one's right there as well. That that's a really good choice, especially when you consider where they were in like May and June and ready to just strip the whole thing down and just say, you know what, this is this isn't working, it's not worth it. And then that entire series where the road team won all seven games, which I'm pretty yeah. sure is the only time that's ever happened. Uh, my moment of the year, my secondary moment of the year, this might be a bit of recency bias, but I'm gonna roll with it anyway, is when Drew Brees broke the all time touchdown record by Peyton Manning. Uh, just, just the way that, just the way that he did it at home Monday night in, in new Orleans, just like last year, Monday night against Washington, when he broke the passing yardage record and they stopped the game and he got to, he got to, you know, he got to have that moment. It was like, this is one of the coolest things I'm seeing. And I'm glad, and I'm glad I got to see it happen. I'm glad. Yeah, that's a- it came at the expense of your Colts, so I'm sorry about that. But <laughs> no, no, that's a great one as well. Uh, just when you look at the the career that Drew Brees has had, and what he what he you know really what he's meant to the city of New Orleans uh, for their success here in recent years, and to see him uh, break that that touchdown record, you know, uh, that's definitely a moment. I totally agree that stands up there. That's on the list for sure because just because of the. The, the person that Drew Brees is, the type of football player that he is, the success that he's helped bring to New Orleans, uh, that's definitely uh, definitely a, a moment that's very high up on the list. And Tom Brady never caught him after the uh, regular season. I mean, he might catch him next year if he plays again and Drew Brees calls it a career. But as of right now, Drew Brees has the touchdown record. All right, Cody, here's the big one. We're, before when we wrap up that a year in review, we'll, and we'll talk about the bold predictions for 2020, and then kind of do like a small wild card preview. The who won 2019? Who, in your mind, who won 2019? Okay, so for me, as the the you know the the person or athlete of the year or you know the person that won 2019, I. I went with the guy that's way off the wall, but because I'm a runner, I went with Elliot Kipchoge uh, because I'm a, a, a dork about it. And the fact that a human being ran sub two hours in a marathon, uh, something that had never been done before uh, Kipchoge did it. 
broke two hours in the marathon. He went 159 uh, in running it in Vienna. For me, that's that's such a feat of uh, accomplishment in terms of when you look at what it takes to be able to do that. And I know, you know, he had the pacers and different things, so it's not an official world record or anything. But the fact that a human being went uh, under two hours and something that we've never seen before, uh, I I think that that you know that Kipchoge for me uh, won the year for that because he also. Uh, because he also was, he also won the London Marathon and set the record there, uh, running 202. So for me, it was uh, Elliot Kipchoge winning the year as the uh, athlete of the year for going under two, uh, under two hours in the marathon. I remember when you told me about that story, and I was like, "Is that humanly possible? <laughs> C- can you run a marathon in under two hours? Because it sounds like a great way to like." Give yourself a heart attack. I mean, because you, you just push yourself through all of that, all of that stress where it's like, wow, like, how do you not, like, kill yourself doing that? I mean, yeah, he had pacers and it doesn't count as a record. Like, I don't care. Un- yeah, no, Under that, two hours why, for a marathon? Are you kidding that's me? Why, that's why for me it's, it's he, he won the year because we'd never seen that uh, done before. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens happens and, and how far they continue to push it but the fact that you had a guy go under two hours is is just absurd when you think about it as far as as far as who won 2019 um Kawhi leonard won 2019 and this <laughs> and the, the saga of Kawhi leonard to the toronto raptors cody i don't know if you watched a lot of westerns but it felt like an old western movie like, here's this mysterious gunfighter. He's he's a drifter just passing his way through town and he <laughs> and he confronts the and he confronts the, the evil outlaw, which is the Golden State Warriors, wins the championship or saves the town, and then he just rides off into the distance. And that that's what it felt like. It felt like Kawhi Leonard just he just rode into town, did his thing, and then left. And then after he left he orchestrated the Paul George move to the LA Clippers. He has the Clippers humming right now. And when was the last time you heard of a guy showing up to a city for a year, winning a championship, leaving, and then everybody's just cool with it. Like there's no ill will whatsoever that he left Toronto. They're like, cool. (laughs) Thank you for giving us a title. And then he got a standing ovation, a video tribute and cheered when he went back to Toronto. Do you know how many other places would have booed Kawhi out of the building where it's like, really, you want a title and you left us? What's wrong with us? But yeah, Toronto was so happy that they're like, yes, thank you. Thank you, Kawhi. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's that's uh, you look at the run that he went on uh, to take the Raptors to the uh, NBA NBA title there. You're exactly right. They they. It doesn't matter that he left, delivered a uh, a world championship, and that's um, that's def- that's something that uh, they're always going to appreciate. I mean, uh, full disclosure, I don't know if you like watched any western movies, but oh yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I've seen West. No, it's a great comparison. I've seen western movies. That's that's a it's a it's a good comparison for kind of just the way that it all went down and the way that. You know, it, it, the drifter just passing through is a good image because, you know, he shows up in Toronto and he wins the title and then he, you know, just kind of moseys on out of town and, or, you know, helps orchestrate another move and ends up with the Clippers. So, no, it's a good, uh, it's a good comparison. The last story that I want to touch on, which would be, what was your worst story of the year? And my worst story of the year was everything that involved the Houston Astros. Okay, so let's start with the Roberto Ozuna Sports Illustrated story, which I don't think got as much coverage as it should have, where after a game against the Yankees, one of the assistant general managers or someone who works in the front office like aggressively yelled at female reporters, I'm so glad we got Roberto Ozuna. The reporters published it, and then the t- 
team came out right away and said, what are you talking about? This never happened. And basically called the reporter a liar. And then a couple days later, they're like, okay, yeah, something did happen. And then they released a statement saying we conducted our investigation. And then they fired the guy that three days earlier said did nothing wrong and called the reporter a liar. Like, like the timeline made just no sense. No, that was a, that was a brutal story. That's such, you know, in the way, in the wake of, you know, losing the, you know, losing the world series and the, the sign stealing stuff. And for that to, you know, for that to come out when it did, Oh man, that was, that was tough. I mean, I want to know when they had time to conduct the investigation because the story broke. They immediately came out and said, what are you talking about? This never happened. She's lying. And then it was like, okay, she's not lying. Something happened. And then he got fired. And then the general manager gave a press conference and he was asked if you had time to apologize to the reporter, if you've apologized to her and said, well, I haven't had time to do it while the reporter was in the room at the press conference. It was just a bad look for everybody involved. And I, I guarantee that the feeling about around the organization was not, you know, I'm glad we fired that guy. It was, remember when, like, that nonsense happened with the reporter and we had to fire that guy? That was stupid, right? Yeah, that that's, uh, that's a good point. What is your candidate for worst slash underreported story of the year? Um, trying to think. I didn't have the didn't have this one in my notes. Um, let's see here. Worst story of the year. You know, for me, and and this is that you know this is something that I reacted, kind of how I reacted to it, but the. The fact that, you know, when you had the Miles Garrett and the helmet stuff, the fact that you had some, you know, and, and I understand the, the, you know, I understand the events that led up to it, but to have someone on a football field commit that type of act, I think is something that is, is really out there and really scary. And, and, and when you look at the disappointment that it something would happen to get to a point where, you know, this, uh, you know, this giant defensive end, one of the most talented guys in the league is, you know, takes off, uh, removes a helmet and then, you know, swings it and connects with another player. Uh, I thought was a story that was a a really, really bad look for the NFL. Uh, they ultimately, you know, handled it with suspensions and that kind of stuff and fines and that kind of stuff. But I thought that was a major, major, uh, major, major disappointing thing for the league. Definitely when the league, you know, co- you know, looks back on their year, that's something that, Oh man, that's that, that was tough for me. That, that was a story that was covered kind of in the same vein of like, remember when the original malice and the palace stuff came out and they're like, Oh my yeah. God, they should get thrown out of the league and they should get arrested. And like, there was a news cycle for about like, at least a few hours where people were legitimately asking if like there should be criminal charges brought against miles Garrett. And then after like a couple of days, everybody just calmed down and then he got suspended and then everybody just moved on. But just to watch how quickly everybody went from miles Garrett should be thrown in jail to eh, a suspension is fine was somewhat jarring. But I'm glad that cooler heads prevailed and, like, nothing more happened with it. Because that very yeah, easily it, it, could have become, like, a huge thing. It could have been the, the Malice in the Palace 2.0 for sure. No, like, we would need uh, someone, like, we would need someone to, like, actually jump in the stands and start fighting a guy. Which I don't think we'll ever get, we're ever going to get in the NFL. Like, the idea that, like, someone's going to do someone's going to go into the stands and like start punching somebody, which, Oh my God. Like, I don't think I want to know like what the reaction is going to be like after something like that. It it might break the internet. Oh, it definitely would break the internet for sure. What is one thing you're hoping to see in the year 2020? Like the one prediction you want to make that above all else you hope that you see 
in sports coming the next year. Oh, I hope the I hope the XFL succeeds. I, I want to see that. I want to see that. Uh, I want to see that happen. That that's that's uh, that's on the top of my list. That's on the top of my list too. Is can the XFL not just survive one year, make it through its entire first year? Because the AAF didn't make it all the way through their first season. And then all the reports that came out afterwards and like the lawsuits just kind of showed just like what, like just what a nightmare it was behind the scenes is I want to see the XFL not just survive one year, but at least finish the season. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I hopefully we at least get that. And then a secondary thing that I hope to see in 2020 is a little bit more clarity on this NCAA name image and likeness situation a little bit more clarity on what it means what it doesn't mean how's the NCAA going to get involved is there going to how how many are there going to be lawsuits are there, are there going to be you know are there going to be hiccups because I guarantee you what the NCAA does not want is to have this be kind of like how the nation is starting to legalize marijuana where we're just letting the states just do whatever they want and what the NCAA doesn't want is having to learn 49 different rules because Alaska doesn't have a team, 49 different rules for 49 different places and knowing what's the difference between a violation in Illinois versus a violation in Texas or what is legal in Arizona versus what's legal in Minnesota. Like if they're going to do it, just have one central guideline that everybody can follow. And I'd like to see what the progress on that's going to be. Yeah, for sure. That'll be that'll be an interesting process to watch because I, you know, I think that there's there's a lot of avenues uh, that need to be figured out with that, and it you know it's going to continue to play out you know not even you know into you know much further even just into this next year. So that's definitely something to watch because I think that it's going to have some some real real big groundbreaking type of uh, of impacts uh, across this uh, across the landscape for sure. And that is exactly what the NCAA wants to avoid, is just having a state-by-state basis of different states implementing their own rules and then having to figure out what's okay here versus what's not at some other place. Yeah, no, of course, of course. Uh, You know, uh, 2019 was was a pretty interesting year from, like, a sports perspective. Like, we had the redemption of the Virginia Cavaliers losing from... losing to UMBC to winning a national championship. We had the Anthony Davis to the Lakers, you know, it was, it was an interesting way to close out the the decade. Yeah, no, I mean, it really was, you just, and every, you know, every, every, every year gives us that kind of stuff. You know, you look back and you just think about all of the different things that have happened throughout the course of the year. And then the fun part is, you know, seeing all of that that's happened and then, trying to you know make a prediction or come up with some bold things that are going to happen um in the next year and so you know that's always fun as well as we reflect on what happened but then okay you know what will we see in you know the next year what will we see in 2020 that's always a fun uh, that that's always fun uh, to play and to see as well you know before let's I, I was touring with the idea of like doing like a decade review, but that would take way too long. Um, but I, I think that was a succinct wrap up of like what important happened in 2019. So since we didn't really have a chance to talk in between like the college football playoff and week 17, let's just kind of filter it in here real quick. Uh, we got the matchup that everybody wanted between LSU and Clemson. LSU was installed as an early favorite against the Clemson Tigers. Um, wh- what do you think come January 13th this game's going to look like? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I, I The way that LSU has played, you know, I, I, I don't think it will be, and, and I, I don't know if I see it happening, but the way that LSU's played, you know, could we see a blowout? Uh, I, I, I think Clemson is, 
is too good to let that happen. But you just look at the way that LSU is firing on offense right now. And we know that defensively they they can be susceptible. We've seen it throughout the year. And Clemson, with its offense, you know, probably will be able to take advantage of some of those situations. But I don't know how Clemson is going to slow down this LSU offense. They are firing on all cylinders right now. And I'm really, really looking forward to a competitive game. I'm hoping it's a competitive game because both of these teams have ridiculously high-level weapons uh, that they will uh, go after one another, go after one another with. Especially when you look at both sides of the ball uh, for both teams are just absolutely loaded. But uh, Evan, to be honest with you, if you know the game plays out and we see, you know, LSU, you know, a, a thirty-one to fourteen. Uh, a 40 to 20 score line, you know, that's something that I wouldn't be surprised by just with the way that LSU has played and continues to play. Also, LSU gets Michael Divinity Jr. back. That, that That's really important for that LSU team. I think LSU is going to win, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think it is. Uh, last thing. Well, with- I, I think, I think, you know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think people are, you know, out there saying, you know, LSU is going to blow them out, but, just the way that the way that LSU is playing right now, it it, sh- it sure seems like uh, you know you're going to have to play a near perfect game to be able to beat them right now. And that's something that so far no one has been able to do. No one has really been able to play that perfect game against LSU and really challenge Joe Burrow and force him to beat them. Uh, Real quick before we go, Cody, Wild Card Weekend is this weekend. Of the four games that are available, which one are you most interested in and which one are you least interested in? Um, definitely most interested in the Titans-Patriots. Uh, I think that the Titans are a team, the way that they're playing right now, they, you know, they present a, a real problem for this Patriots team because of the way they can run the football with Derrick Henry, that physicality. I think it's just so interesting. You have Vrabel, uh, Mike Vrabel coaching the Titans, who was uh, an ex-Patriot. You have uh, Ryan Tannehill, who you know has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL when you look at you know coming down the stretch uh, from, a, from a quarterback rating standpoint. I mean, Tannehill's been unbelievable, and this Titans team you know they can they can can blow the top off the defense with some big plays uh with aj brown and and company so out wide that one is the most interesting one for me you know and i never want to bet against tom brady everyone's tried to bury him uh you know as as this year hasn't been as explosive as we've seen you know i i'm not going to do that i'm not going to bury him but the Titans present a, a difficult matchup and the way that we've seen the Patriots struggle offensively this year, uh, the Titans would seem like a team that could control the ground game, control the clock and present a tough matchup. So I'm looking forward to that one as well. Which of the, which of the four are you most excited about? The one, the wild card game that I'm the most excited about is a little bit of it's a little bit of an off-the-wall choice. I'm really excited in the New Orleans Saints versus Minnesota Vikings, the Minneapolis Miracle Revenge game. Like, how is Drew Brees going to look against the Minnesota Vikings, and can Kirk Cousins sort of exercise the demons of everyone saying he can't win in prime time, he can't win in a big spot? You know, it. Uh, so that, that game for me has the most interest, like just from a what's this game going to look like perspective new orleans their first playoff game since that pass interference call well obviously because they didn't have playoffs before that but and then it's the game is in new orleans which helps the saints because they're 13 and 3 one of the best home teams in the country and that stadium is really loud uh the game that i'm the least interested in if i was forced to pick a wild card game is the uh I can't really get myself too excited to watch the Seahawks Philadelphia game because Philadelphia really, is, yeah, I mean, Philadelphia is trotting out like not much of an offense, and the Seahawks got Marshawn Lynch back, and like okay, that's cool, but 
like if I was forced to pick one, it's really close between the Bills, Texans, and the Eagles, Seahawks. I can't really get myself too excited. I'm still going to watch the game because, of course, I am. But I don't really have a rooting interest one way or another, and I think that's why like the emotion is just kind of out of it for me. No, that makes sense. I would probably go Bills Texans just because that's probably you know the least flashy of the matchups. But yeah, no, that's interesting because I'm I'm very intrigued by that game and to watch Russell Wilson, uh, how they go to, uh, come over to the East Coast once again. Uh, love watching Russell Wilson. You know the way that Philly has played. You know it. It doesn't matter that they've gotten wins over some of these. Uh, you know over the Giants, the Redskins here late in the year. Carson Wentz is dragging that team. Uh, and defensively, they've stepped up as well, especially along the front line, the defensive line. So, no, that, that that's kind of surprising because that's one that's, you know, for me, that's interesting because you have, you know, the fact that Philly has sustained all those injuries uh, and with, you know, Carson Wentz still, you know, just basically putting the team on his back and dragging them uh, to these wins. Can they do it against the Seattle Seahawks? Uh, that remains to be seen, but that's an interesting one for me. Maybe least interested in is the wrong word. I'm thinking like if I were to like rank them in order in terms of like personal excitement for me and rooting right. interest. So maybe like not interested is the wrong is the wrong phrase, but I think you get what you're saying. Uh, two last things before before we go. Uh, Ron Rivera hired as the Washington Redskins. Bruce Allen is out. Good move. Uh, I think it's a good move for the Redskins. Uh, I think the fact that uh, Bruce Allen is out, that, that plays a big role in it. Uh, but I think a, a very, I like the move, but very, very uphill battle for Ron Rivera. There's talent on that roster, but I, I think the, I think the, especially from a front office standpoint, and Allen was a large part of that, some of that chaos. So I think that removal helps as well, but Ron R- Rivera has got his work cut out for him. Ron Rivera and the Washington Redskins have the number two overall pick. All signs point to them taking Chase Young. But who knows? Maybe Ron Rivera is not sold on Dwayne Haskins and wants to look at a quarterback in the draft. But conventional wisdom says they're going to take Chase Young. Uh, And the final thing before we go, the Cleveland Browns are cleaning house again. John Dorsey's gone. Freddie Kitchens is gone. What is next for the Cleveland Browns? And who's going to take that job? That is a very, very good question. I I think it should be Mike McCarthy. Uh, I think that the Browns should bring him in, a guy, an experienced guy who has, you know, has coached Aaron Rodgers, but just just a, a seasoned veteran, experienced guy. You know, Cle- after the season you just had with all of the with all of those expectations going in, it didn't work out there. Dorsey gets the axe. Kitchens gets the axe. The next guy they bring in, it, it can't be like that guy's first job, you know, the first head coaching job. They need they need somebody who's been through it before, and I, I think Mike McCarthy would be a good fit for that role. Uh, I, I think he would help bring some stability to that team. But you know, the Browns have to they have to make a good hire here, and then e- even maybe more than a good hire, they just need to. You know, you could get an let's let's say an average hire, but you have they have to show some commitment and some stability, and just the fact that you know all of the ups and downs that they've had, and just the constant carousel. We'll see what happens with them, but it would be Mike McCarthy for me, a guy that uh, I think would come in and be able to do a good job. But it'll be interesting to keep an eye on Baker Mayfield because you know I, I think that you know two you know two of his biggest uh, you know fans in the building were. Freddie Kitchens and Dorsey and whenever you're bringing in a new coach you're bringing in a new GM you know it it happens all the time those guys are not as committed to whoever it may be who is currently there you know because a lot of people want to bring in their own guys so going to be interesting to watch because I think uh, I think you have some decisions coming up for this Cleveland Browns team that are going to uh, that are going to you know they really really got to pay attention to this. And it's not it's not just what's going to happen with Baker Mayfield. It's that since last decade, 2010 to 2019, Hugh Jackson was the longest tenured coach. Like, he was the only one that lasted into his right. third season. And think of what happened immediately after Freddie Kitchens got fired. Matt Rule came out and said, 
I'm not interested. Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer and Lincoln Riley came out and said, thanks, but no thanks. Ron Rivera wouldn't take an interview. He said, no, nah, I'd rather work for Dan Snyder and the Washington Redskins. <laughs> like, and this is what happens when you fire coach after coach after coach. Because the message is, don't take the job. Why bother? He's going to fire me in two years and bring in another guy. So why would I, I mean, coaching is already an incredibly transient lifestyle, bopping from job to job to job. So why would I pack up my family, move to Cleveland, and then I'll get, the the book is out. I get two years. (laughs) Yeah. And in 2022, they're just, and if the pattern holds in 2022, they're just going to fire me and start over and I got to pack up my family and move again. Like, Talented people with options are not interested in the Cleveland Browns job. The only guy that has even expressed some level of interest is maybe Mike McCarthy. I know there's a rumor for Josh McDaniels, but if Josh McDaniels is coming in and he's like, look, if we're doing this, I need a long-term contract and personnel say, because I'm not leaving New England to go back to Cleveland without some assurance that, I'm going to coach the team and get a say in the draft and free agency, or they could just go with the Mike McCarthy route. And, but like, this is what happens when you cycle through guy after guy, after guy, talented people with options aren't going to want your job. No, for sure. That's why they're at a, they're at a, a crossroads here. They've got to, they've got to, they've got to find a good candidate and, you know, they, they've just got to start, you know, they've got to create some stability there because, you know, otherwise you just, we're going to just see the same old Cleveland Browns. And even, you know, even if, even if it's, let's say it is McCarthy and he ends up, you know, we're, you know, staying there a few years, you know, we'll see if they just, you know, they continue to be the Cleveland Browns or if they're able to turn things around. Something to look at for 2020. Cody, I think that was a succinct wrap up for the year interview and to start 2020. Uh, the next time we come back will be after wildcard weekend and we'll break down all the wildcard games and then do a preview of the divisional round. Uh, thank you for Tony Wynn who does our, who does all of our artwork subscribe on Apple podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher. Like if, if there is a pop, if there is a podcast platform you listen to, you'll probably find us Re- leave a review, <laughs> drop a comment. Uh, thank you for an incredible first portion of 2019 and hopefully 2020 will be even better for all of us so for cody clark i'm evan eichen saying so long and happy new year and welcome to 2020